Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I'm your host as we delve into the horror movies out there that just need a little more love. And as I mentioned, today we're doing another horror movie as indeed we are in Horror Month 2020. And the movie for this episode is uh, one that I did not pick. My guest picked this one, and you will understand why in a second. The movie we are talking about is the 2014 found footage movie called As Above, So Below, which is a treasure hunt in the Paris catacombs. And it is indeed... There, there, and indeed, there is much more going on than just that, but we will get to that in a second. It's a uh, very, very deep movie, probably the most literary movie I have covered on Staff Picks. So this will be quite a challenge to delve into this one and explain why so many people just don't get what the movie is and why it has such a low rating out there on Rotten Tomatoes. And my guest today, you have heard her before. Uh, she is my daughter, indeed, Vanessa. Uh, we had her on last year for The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man is her all-time favorite horror movie and my, if not all-time favorite, right up there. And so uh, she did a great job. She wanted to come back again. And I told her, okay, well, you pick the movie this time because I had picked The Wicker Man. And she said, as above, so below. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be a challenge. And she's like, I'm really big on that one. So... I will bring her back again. She's a college student. She's only, uh, what, 20 years old. Uh, <laughs> and I believe this is your only your second podcast. But again, she's my daughter, so I will <laughs> perform the fatherly love here to bring her under a podcast and do my best with her. Welcome back to Staff Picks, Vanessa Lanza. Hi. <laughs> you are 20, right? Not 21? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm 20. Okay, good. <laughs> so, explain to people who you are and why you picked this specific movie, the short version. Um, so I picked this movie because it's a found footage movie, and I happen to love found footage horror movies, but I know that it is an extremely polarizing genre, and I know that a lot of people will probably refuse to watch this movie just because it is found footage, because a lot of people hate found footage, and so I think that People should give it a chance because it's really good. <laughs> and I already talked about the elephant in the room. As Above, So Below has a, a uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 21% right now, which means that 79% of the audience hated it. So in a, as short a way, a way as possible, why are all these people wrong? They're just, they're stupid. They can't handle found footage. <laughs> That's right. That's my kid. Well done. <laughs> okay, I'll give you a little story here. Vanessa turned us on to this movie last year. She's always giving us, like my wife and I know older horror movies. Vanessa knows no more modern ones. So she's forever giving us modern ones. Some we like, some we don't. This one I was on the fence with because I will admit it go. it's about an, for the first hour, it's very self-explanatory and it gets weird. And I'm like, I'm not entirely sure what I watched. And my wife liked it. But Vanessa, you loved this movie right from the start, correct? I loved it, but I was also confused by it the first time I saw it. Like, I was I was like, I know that I love this movie, but I still don't totally understand it. But it's definitely something that gets better with multiple rewatches. And once I rewatched it a lot of times and read, like, some of the reviews and theories about it, it definitely started to all come together. And it just made me love it even more. 
Yeah, and you just hit the nail right on the head there. This movie is one of those that really requires two viewings. Would you agree with that? Yeah, two or more. <laughs> yeah. There is no way anybody is going to understand everything that's going on in this movie in the in the first the first viewing. Now, why would that be, Vanessa? What is there about this movie that's so deep that people don't get right off the bat? Well, it's full of references to mythology and specifically Dante's Inferno, which actually I have not read. <laughs> Pretty much everything I know about Dante's Inferno I learned from researching this movie and researching the theories behind it. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's if you really are into literature and you've read Dante's Inferno, you would probably be able to understand more of the references right away that I didn't. Um, but it also references other parts of like Greek and Roman mythology, too. I think there's some Egyptian in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, and okay, so that's well, basically Vanessa just spelled it out for you. The first time you watch this movie, it's about a bunch of treasure hunters going underground in the Paris catacombs. Again, found footage. You've seen movies a lot like it. But then it gets very mythological and mystical, and it just basically is a retelling of Dante's Inferno, which I will flat out admit, flat out admit also, Vanessa, I have never read. So we're <laughs> going to stumble into a movie here based on a novel which we have never read. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that most people in the world have read Dante's Inferno. For some reason, it was not required at my school or yours. Do, do you, like, have you talked about this with other people? Do, do they know that book? Um, yeah, most people I've talked to haven't read it either. I, I don't know. I feel like it's something that a lot of people say they've read, but they actually haven't. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know your brother has read it. Are you aware of this? Yeah, and he apparently was not a fan. <laughs> yes. My son, Nick, read Dante's Inferno in class, and I believe his exact quote was, it's the worst piece of crap I have ever read. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's funny because wasn't Dante's Inferno supposed to be a comedy? They had different standards back then, Vanessa. <laughs> yeah, but, like, but now there's a horror movie based off of it. <laughs> And honestly, how funny could it be, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, to fill people in a little bit, Dante's Inferno is a 14th century epic written by Dante Alighieri. Is that how to pronounce it? Do you know? Um, yeah, I've heard Alighieri and Alighieri. Okay, and basically, yeah, it's the story of a man who goes to hell and passes through nine rings of hell, these concentric rings, and he goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and at the end he meets Satan and must atone for his sins. And that is a very rough outline of what this movie is, even though people don't realize that because it's so uh, symbolic, I guess, what the word would be. Yeah. <laughs> so you watched this movie for the first time. How did you first hear about it? I think so. I'm addicted to Reddit. And I'm on the horror movie subreddit a lot. And I think that's how I first heard about it, is people were talking about it. Because for some reason, Reddit loves this movie, even though it seems like most of the rest of the population has not heard of it or saw it and didn't like it. But I think I just saw it recommended a lot on the subreddit. And since it was on Netflix, I had easy access to it. So I think that's how I first heard of it. Okay, so that's a strong vote in support of Reddit, the, the, the minds at Reddit. Yeah. Yeah, they, they have some good recommendations over there. Okay, well, that, that does ask, uh, lead to another question. What other movies does Reddit recommend, horror movies? Um, okay, well, I know it's one that you didn't like, but The Witch. 
Yeah, but Vanessa and I are going to come to blows over the witch because you love it and I didn't like it at all. So we'll skip that one for now. What else? <laughs> Reddit also loves all of Ari Aster's movies, Hereditary and Midsummer. Okay, which you are a fan of. Yes, definitely. Huge fan, especially of Midsummer. I honestly, for this episode, thought you were going to pick Midsummer. When you pulled As Above, So Below out of your butt, I'm like, wow, that was came out of nowhere. Well, I don't think... I don't think we can judge yet whether Midsummer is overrated or not, since it's still so new. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, that's the whole point of the show. I usually say movies have to be 10 years old. I kind of bend the rules on some. This one's only six years old, but it's, again, 21% Rotten Tomatoes. I have to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you shown this movie to your friends? Because I will, I will spill a little details here. Vanessa at college is known as, of course, the horror movie girl who's forever introducing her friends to horror. And you said nobody likes horror, so it's hard to find stuff. Yeah, most people are really don't like horror and are really reluctant to watch it with me. <laughs> so indeed, this is my kid for Horror Month, the horror girl at college who can make no friends because nobody likes the same movies as her. <laughs> well, I can make friends. I just have to sit through their choices of movies, which is like, you know, rom-coms and stuff that I don't like. Oh, rom-coms. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good job. So I'm glad you you have a, you said you have a roommate this year who likes horror movies, though, right? Yeah. And I just showed it to her a few days ago, and I was very happy because she really liked it. She really liked it. So she's not part of the 21%. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> she is. She is. Sorry. I yeah, that she out. is. <laughs> okay. So we are going to delve into the most literary, complicated movie I have ever done on Staff Picks. I hope you're you're aware of what you're getting into here, Missy. <laughs> no, I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, just think it could be worse. It could be last time with the Wicker Man, and we could be discussing orgies. So it's probably much more comfortable to not discuss those. Yeah, I still haven't even listened to that cringe fest of an episode. <laughs> it, you know, most people like it. A lot of people complimented. They said you did a great job, so I'm sure you'll do well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, and one other thing about this movie is that uh, you said found footage. So mm -hmm. is it correct most people of your age, your generation, don't like found footage movies anymore? Um, hmm. I feel like most people, other than, like, extreme horror nerds, aren't really familiar with, like, the concept of found footage. Like, they know movies that are found footage, but if you say the term found footage to people, they don't really know what that means. Um, but... I do think that, like, I've heard a lot of people my age say that they did not like the Blair Witch Project, and the reasons being, like, sort of common among why people complain about found footage, like, oh, the camera was too shaky, like, boring, nothing happened, that kind of stuff. And that's my, I mean, there's a lot of people my age the same way. When Blair Witch came out, it was super polarizing. People loved it or hated it, so it's the same type of deal. Yeah. And you like Blair Witch, correct? Yeah, I pretty much love any found footage horror movie. To me, the found footage style just makes it even scarier. Yeah, I agree with you. I love most of them. Although, you could make the argument this one isn't really found footage as it is first person. Yeah, I guess so. Because, I mean, the whole point of a found footage is someone died and you're watching their last moments. That's not really this movie. Yeah. 
But yeah, I, I, now that you mention it, I am shocked I have not done the Blair Witch Project yet, yet on staff picks, because that is one so many people hate that movie, and I've been high on that since the day it came out. So thank you for reminding me of that one. I'm pretty sure I've recommended it before. <laughs> okay, well, I, I actually think that was the movie you were going to pick if you didn't pick As Above, So Below. Yeah, maybe. We may have had this discussion. All right, so here we go. Get ready for a really in-depth discussion where we're talking about a 14th century poem or story which neither of us has read. We only know what we've read on the internet about it because there's apparently huge web pages dedicated to this movie explaining all the parallels with Dante's Inferno, correct? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, so this movie uh, is the story of a an archaeologist named Scarlett Marlowe. And I should point out, you are not an archaeologist. You are in college studying to be a paleontologist, which is the exact same thing, correct? <laughs> no, completely different. What? But, but I am minoring in anthropology, so I have taken a couple of archaeology classes, and Scarlett is a terrible archaeologist. <laughs> now why? You're bashing our heroine already? <laughs> she damages the artifacts. She's not respectful to the the property. She goes trespassing everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Vanessa and I were talking about this movie the other night on the phone before the podcast, and we both agree the heroine is not especially heroic. <laughs> yeah, she's not very likable. Yeah, even though she beats the crap out of demons at one point, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. We're going to walk through this movie, and... I really hope people listen to this episode and then seek this movie out because, again, I wasn't that thrilled with it the first time, but Vanessa kept telling me, read about it, research it online, re see all the symbolism, see what they're doing with it and what all the levels of hell mean. And boy, is this movie much different when you know what you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> now, does it make you want to uh, seek out Dante's Inferno and read it? Um. Yeah, actually, kind of. Oh. <laughs> that's not the answer I was expecting. Yeah, it, I mean, it sounds like an interesting story. I'm just, the fact that it's a comedy keeps throwing me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I mean, that was there was tragedies and comedies back then, and tragedy was where everyone dies, and because he didn't die, it's a comedy. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, and just reminding you one more time that your brother compared that book to something that comes out of a dog's butt. Yeah, but he hates everything. He just hates books in general. <laughs> you do know Nicholas very well, yes. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get, uh, for my listeners, I'm trying to get Nick, my son, on podcast on Staff Picks. And the problem is he's only seen like four movies. He doesn't watch movies. So <laughs> it will be something involving Star Wars, which he knows inside and out. So it's not quite Dante's Inferno. <laughs> Okay, here we go. So the movie starts, uh, again, it's all shot in first person. It's this woman, Scarlett Marlowe, archaeologist, going out, and she's basically hunting for treasure. And so the movie is her holding a camera or wearing a camera, filming herself, and it's like a documentary she's making, correct? Yeah, she's basically on – the. her ultimate goal is to find the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, yeah, that's another – thing about this movie it involves a lot of knowledge about alchemy <laughs> <laughs> okay now explain to people what alchemy is alchemy was basically a very early form of science and they studied transformation in all its forms and apparently the philosopher's stone is something that can give you eternal life 
and the big uh, one of the big names in alchemy, Nicholas Nicholas Flamel. This was like his lifelong project was finding the philosopher's stone. Now, do you know Nicholas Flamel outside this movie? So I did have to read The Alchemist in high school, and I learned a little bit about him from that book. But I think, actually, yeah, the majority of what I know about alchemy is also from this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, is this this indeed the same Philosopher's Stone that's in the Harry Potter books? I don't know. I guess so. But also, I mean, in America, we call it the Sorcerer's Stone, so I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. I mean, most people will know this, but the British version of the first Harry Potter book was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And then in this book, in this movie, they're searching for the Philosopher's Stone. So my wife and I were talking the other day. I'm like, do people in England just know this stuff? They know what the Philosopher's Stone is? Because I had never heard of it. Like, do you know the backstory of this? Is it well known? Not really. Yeah, I only learned a little bit about it through this movie and The Alchemist. (laughs) So this movie is a lot like Harry Potter, is what I'm basically saying. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there are Dementors at the end, kind of. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Okay, so let's open the movie. The movie opens in Iran, and it's Scarlet on one of her missions. So explain this mission to people. Yeah, so she is searching for something called the Rose Key which is basically like the Rosetta Stone, but for alchemy. So it's something that will help her translate and get her closer to finding the Philosopher's Stone. So she has to go into these caves in Iran, and it's really dangerous because not only is the punishment for trespassing in Iran, I think she said, being buried up to your neck and being stoned, but also they're doing a planned demolition of these caves that the Rose Key is supposedly in, And so she only literally has like five minutes to get in there and find it and get out. Yeah, this movie is actually very Indiana Jones for about the first 20, 30 minutes. It's it's like an adventure. This this opening scene is really cool. So it's just her and these caves and there's these Iranian police officers shooting anyone on sight. And uh, they're trying to blow the cave up. And she basically crashes through walls, finds this ancient Aramaic tablet smashes through there and then finds the rose key which is like a bull statue (laughs) and as you point out she's not the most likable protagonist in the world because she has a guide who's showing her through the catacombs and says it's too dangerous we can't do this and she's like don't worry if your family gets killed i need this rose key so (laughs) already she's a terrible archaeologist yeah she kind of (laughs) likes to use people for her own personal gain (laughs) (laughs) okay and I should point out that Scarlet, our heroine, has a backstory and that she is not the first member of her family to be searching for this, uh, this, uh, the Flamel stone. Who else was searching for it? Yeah, so her father was also, this was like his lifelong dream, his lifelong project. And he, I guess it's assumed maybe like a few years before this story starts, he killed himself. And so there's a lot of speculation of, um, was he mentally unstable? Was it his desire to find the Philosopher's Stone that sort of drove him to madness? And um, it's become a theme throughout the movie. For Scarlet, his suicide really haunts her. And while she's in the caves, she sees a, a hallucination of her father's body hanging. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of imagery of her dead father hanging from a noose. And I guess we should talk about the scariness of this movie. 
Now, there's only one jump scare in this movie, although I'll admit it's a pretty good one. I'd say there's a few. Okay, we'll talk about those. But, like, it's not the scariest movie you'll ever see. It's kind of eerie and creepy, but the main word I would use to describe this movie, so I'll warn people off the bat, if you're claustrophobic, this may not be the movie for you. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of claustrophobic, and that's what really got to me about this movie. Okay, so you are claustrophobic, and it made the movie better. So, okay, that's an endorsement. Yeah, it makes the movie better if you like being scared like I do. Yeah, there's a lot of shots in this movie of people crawling through the narrowest stone tunnels where they barely have any room to breathe, and, like... I'm just watching them shocked that the actors were doing this because this movie was really filmed in caves. Like, right, This wasn't on a soundstage. This was actually filmed in the Paris catacombs. And yeah, apparently a lot of the actors were getting claustrophobic on set. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Paris catacombs. Let's talk about those for a second. We're going to go down to those in a second. The all, almost the entire movie takes place in the Paris catacombs. What are the Paris catacombs in, in case people don't know this? So in Paris, I think during the plague, they started to become um, overwhelmed with the amount of dead bodies that were filling up in cemeteries. And so what they did is they built these catacombs and they basically buried a bunch of people underground in them and sort of built some of the walls of the catacombs actually out of the bones. So you can actually still visit them today. And it's just these like miles and miles of tunnels underground under Paris. And they're just filled with bones. And I guess we should tell our story of shame here that several years ago, the Lanza family was in Paris for a couple of days and we meant to go in the Paris catacombs and we decided not to because the line was too long. <laughs> <laughs> so d does that haunt you as a future paleontologist slash archaeology minor? Well, I mean, we went to the Rome ones, so I don't feel totally cheated. <laughs> But yeah, I'd, apparently the Paris Catacombs, this really cool underground exhibit, just bones and skeletons and skulls everywhere. Very notorious place. This movie was, did you say this, the first movie ever allowed to be filmed down there? I think it was, yeah. I think it was a, a big deal because it was the first movie that got permission. <laughs> yeah, so if you've never visited the Paris Catacombs like the Lanza family, you can watch this movie and it's basically the same thing. <laughs> Okay, so Scarlet has escaped this cave in Iran with the, the rose key, and basically her guide tells her, this is very uh, important for later in the movie, he warns her, Scarlet, you must be more careful. You are so much like your father, but his quest was a path to madness. Yeah, and he tells her that everyone who searches for the Philosopher's Stone ends up dead. Yep, so that's those are the kind of stakes we're looking for, or we're looking at here. Although, just re, uh, reminded me right now, the other movie, this movie, reminds me of a little bit is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Are you aware, you're familiar with that one? I mean, I've definitely seen it. I get kind of all the Indiana Jones movies mixed up in my head. Okay, I'll fully admit I'm a crappy father if you don't know this one. This is one of my favorite movies. This, this is the one where they search for the Holy Grail the cup that had Christ's blood. And at the end, there's a Templar knight guarding the tomb, and Indiana Jones has to do a leap of faith, and there's all these tests. It's very similar to this movie at times. Well, and I've seen a lot of people say that it's also similar to Tomb Raider, which I've never seen Tomb Raider. Yeah, Tomb Raider was a video game first and then a movie. 
So, yeah, that was, that was like an action thing. But, yeah, Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones. In fact, Indiana Jones even has the tie-in that his father was a – spent his entire life searching for the grail, and then young Indiana had to take it over. So it's very similar to this. Okay, so here we go. That's Scarlet's first mission. Now we go to Paris for the rest of the movie, and we meet Scarlet. Now she's on her next mission. Now we're finally looking for the Philosopher's Stone. Okay, so explain this. We meet her. She's with a cameraman named Benji who's filming her, and she kind of gives her life story. Yeah, so she explains um, Benji is the person. She's making a documentary, and Benji is her cameraman. And she's just explaining that she is an archaeologist. She's a professor in London. She has two PhDs, one in archaeology and one in symbology and a master's in chemistry, and she's a black belt in Krav Maga, and she speaks, like, a billion languages. Um, she's a type A. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she, she will one-up anybody. Anyway, she's our hero, and she's here in, in Paris looking for the Philosopher's Stone, and she explains... It's an elusive substance, this uh, like a chemical that this guy Nicholas Flamel created. And what does it do? It turns metals into gold and it can heal people? Yeah, it can give you eternal life. Okay, wow, this is very close to the Holy Grail. Wow, okay. <laughs> okay, so we get a whole backstory. She talks. She goes to Nicholas Flamel's house in Paris. She says, this guy was the greatest alchemist ever. He designed the stone. When he died, the grave robbers tried to break into his grave, and he was gone, right? Yeah, him and his wife were both missing. And it is believed that he was actually buried under his tomb, way down in the earth, with the Philosopher's Stone. And so, and she, I think she believes, what, only her father has figured this out through all the riddles and clues over the years? Yeah, she, basically everyone except her thinks that her father was crazy and mentally unstable, but she is determined to prove that he wasn't and that he actually figured out where the Philosopher's Stone was. Okay, and... There's one catch. She's in Paris. She knows where the Philosopher's Stone is. She knows where all the clues are to its location. But the problem is, as many languages as she speaks, she doesn't speak Aramaic. But luckily, she has a friend who does here in Paris. Yes. <laughs> now, who's this guy? Yeah, so this is George. It is, you learn a little bit about their history together. I guess they were friends and there's some mysterious trip that they went on together in Turkey a few years ago and basically George hasn't spoken to her since the Turkey trip because she abandoned him or something and he ended up in jail and he got really mad at her and so they've kind of have been not on speaking terms for the past few years but she's determined to get him to come with her because he speaks Aramaic <laughs> yeah she will need his help to translate he's kind of a coward George doesn't like going underground well, he has a good reason. Yeah, why, what is his reason why he doesn't like going underground, Vanessa? Because when him and his brother were younger, um, they were playing around in a cave, and his brother got trapped under a rock. George went to go to try to find help, and while he was gone, his brother drowned in the cave. Yeah, so Scarlet is dealing with her father that committed suicide. This guy, George, is dealing with a dead brother he couldn't save when he was young. They both have traumatic pasts, and this will come into play very much in the last act of the movie. Okay, so George refuses to go underground, and Scarlet knows that, but she kind of tracks him down. He's in a, this church in Paris. He breaks into historic 
artifacts and locations and fixes them. He fixes a church bell. And he's like, at first he's like, I'm not going underground. And she's like, I found the rose key. I know where the philosopher's stone is. So he kind of changes his mind when he realizes how close she is. Okay, so she gets George on board. And what is the first thing they do? They, they, they go into a museum, right? Because they have to go look at Flamel's headstone. Yeah, George somehow knows this lady who works at this museum in Paris. And she gives them permission to go in after hours. And Scarlett needs to look at his headstone. And she ends up figuring out through the translation that the key that she needs is on the back of the headstone. So she makes them take it off the wall. <laughs> and George and Benji are flipping out. And then she starts pouring all these chemicals on it because apparently if you pour this specific mix of chemicals on it and burn it, it'll reveal the key. And that's the first rule of archaeology, right? When you find a historic artifact, burn it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this is very national treasure, Nicolas Cage here, where she pulls down Flamel's headstone, sets it on fire on the back, and it reveals this riddle on the back that basically explains exactly where the the philosopher's stone is underground. Mm -hmm. Did Did you write down the riddle? Um, no, I did not. Oh, well, good. Good thing I'm here. <laughs> so the riddle on the back of Flamel's tombstone says, Winged vulture leads the way with brightest light in darkest day. Underneath the heaven's rain, what is lost shall be regained. Halfway twixt the darkest gate and this tablet laid atop a parid fate. And it basically means halfway down into the earth under Flamel's tomb, towards hell that if you look the riddle says darkest gate darkest gate means hell so they think the philosopher's stone is halfway between flamel's tomb and hell which they figure out is 370.5 feet below the surface yes because the alchemists believed that the number of the devil was 741 so that means that hell is 741 feet below the earth so that divided by two is how they got the 370.5 number. Yeah, we, we learn a lot of fun facts about alchemy in this movie. So <laughs> they thought the, the number of the devil was 741. So if that ever comes up on Jeopardy or like uh, teen trivia, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so they know it's down in the ta- catacombs and they basically try to map it out and they realize that the catacombs don't actually go under Flamel's tomb, right? They only go near it. Yeah, so they basically figure out that they would have to burrow through a wall in the catacombs in order to get to where his tomb actually is. Okay, so I'm going to skip ahead here because I want to get underground, but they go on a tour, the actual catacomb tour that we did not go because we were too busy (laughs) doing other things. We were too busy being underwhelmed by the Mona Lisa. (laughs) Yes, the Mona Lisa (laughs) is the most overrated thing. In fact, there's a great song, look it up by Andy Samberg and Popstar, about how overrated it is. So there you go. <laughs> Mona Lisa, you're an overrated piece of shit. They go on a tour, the actual catacomb tour, and while they're in there, they realize they're going to have to burrow through these, these forbidden walls. And while they're down there, there's a mysterious visitor who gives them a tip. Yeah, so this guy just kind of appears out of nowhere behind them. And he tells them to um, look for Papillon, who is someone who apparently knows the catacombs really well. And he tells them, look for Papillon, ask him to take you down here, he'll take you. And 
Scarlet says thank you, and then they turn around, and then when they look back, this guy is gone. Yeah, and there's a lot of confusion who this guy is, because they don't spell it out in the movie. I didn't get it at first. Oh, yeah. Well, I realized, I realized who he was once he came back later, which we'll get to. Okay, yeah, there's, <laughs> again, a lot of symbolism in this movie. So this mysterious visitor, just file him away later. He's got this big poofy hair. And so they go and find this guy, Papillon, who is apparently the guy who's in the know in Paris, knows every back corridor of the catacombs. They go into a nightclub, and they basically tell him, there's all this treasure down there, you can keep half of it, come with us, and that's how we meet Pap. Anything else we need to know about him? Well, not about him, but on while they're going into the club, remember there's that lady, the like mysterious, creepy-looking lady who walks out of the club, stares at the camera for a second, and then walks away. She becomes important later, too. Yeah, again, this it's this confusing movie if you don't, if you know what you're watching. As they're going to the nightclub, there's this creepy woman in white who stares at them and stares at the camera. She will come back later. She means something anyway. But Papignon, the, the guide, I guess because we, we talked about uncomfortable things in the Wicker Man podcast, we should do it here as well. I know for a fact you think Papignon is hot. Yeah, I do. Okay, just just making sure. <laughs> so he's your favorite character in the movie over Scarlet, even? Uh, I don't have a favorite character. I don't pick favorites in horror movies, because that's a bad idea. <laughs> it's a fool's game, yeah. <laughs> so Papillon has a girlfriend named Suxi. That's his girlfriend, right? Uh, It's unclear if they're dating or if they're just friends. Okay. But anyway, these are five people that are going to go underground, and they're all going to go the next day, the big excursion, and we meet the sixth person tomorrow. His name is Zed, who is a minor character who, spoiler, somehow survives this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but these are the six that are going underground, correct? Six characters? Yeah, and Suxi and Zed are, I guess, just kind of part of Papillon's cave exploring team. Like, I think he says that each one of them has some sort of special ability. I, like, I think he says that Zed is the climber, and then I forget what Suxi is. <laughs> so this is like a Dungeons & Dragons party at this point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so before they go, go down into the catacombs, and again, they'll be down there the entire rest of the movie, they are warned here of all the dangers you may face underground in catacombs in Paris, especially the forbidden tunnels. Do you remember some of the things Suxi warns them about? Yeah, if you run out of batteries in your headlamp, you'll get lost and you'll die. If you get hurt and you can't move, you'll die. If you run out of water or food, you'll die. Yeah, okay, so it'll be pitch dark, they need batteries. If you run out of supplies, batteries, food, you will die. It's very claustrophobic, you might get stuck. Also, it's illegal to go down there, so the cops could arrest them. Also on top of that, there's bats, rats, drowning, and bugs. Yeah. <laughs> and as we'll get into in the movie, also the gates of hell, which they are not aware of yet. <laughs> okay, so let's go down to the entrance. So this is their entrance. They have all their spelunking supplies, their repelling stuff and helmets and lights. And they all have helmet cams, which is why this becomes a found footage movie, basically. Yeah. And also, I think Benji is, he has like a full on camera that he's also recording everyone with. Yeah, and and really, the entire rest of this movie is first person and chaotic, and there's a lot being said in different accents, 
including things in different languages. So I highly recommend you turn on the subtitles the first time you watch this movie because you will have no idea what's going on half the time. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's talk about their entrance down into the tunnels. Where do they go? So they have to find this secret entrance that's basically under this tunnel, and it's really, really tiny. Like, it's literally only as wide as one person. They have to kind of, each one by one, sneak their way down there. And, yeah, so they go down a hillside through a broken fence, go along these train tracks into this old train tunnel. And like Vanessa said, it's a little hole about the size of, like, a manhole cover that they have to climb in in the side of this railroad track. And it's right from the start, George, the one nervous one, who remember, his brother died in a cave, drowned. George is like, I'm not going in there. There's no way. And what does our heroine Scarlet say? She keeps, every time George tries to tell Papillon, I'm not going, Scarlett keeps saying, yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> Very sympathetic to her friend with the dead brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Scarlett needs George to translate the Aramaic, but he doesn't want to go down there. But that will all be for naught because at one point a cop catches them trying to go in the tunnel, tries to, you know, arrest them. And Papillon throws a smoke bomb and distracts the cop. They slip into the tunnel. The cop doesn't want to go in there because it's dangerous. And so from here on out, they cannot turn back. All they can do is go forward into the tunnels. Yeah, so George basically just had to jump down there with everyone else among all the chaos, and now he's kind of stuck down there. Which, I mean, I feel like that was a little bit on him, because he didn't want to go into the cave, but yet he went as far with them as to be right near the entrance. I feel like I would have turned back before that. That's a good point. It is kind of on him. <laughs> I, I refuse to go. I will just walk all the way up to the entrance, way down this tunnel, and then refuse. But I'll go all the way as far as right up to the entrance. Okay, so they're now inside the tunnels. And inside we see Papillon has a, a graffiti signature. He just writes Pap because he's the king of these tunnels. And we see it all over the walls because he's been down here so much. Okay, so let's explain the first room. Yeah, this part, this part really freaks me out. So they, okay, so when they're walking through the tunnels, at first, Papillon finds warm candles on the ground, and then he says, oh, that means there's people down here. And then they walk a little bit further, and there's this room where this group of women are standing. Um, I think they're naked, or just wearing some, like, underwear, basically. And they're just standing in the circle with red paint over their eyes and just humming and singing really creepily. And Papillon, everyone in the movie just kind of brushes it off. Like Papillon just says, oh yeah, there's weird people down here sometimes. Which I don't understand because if I saw that, I would have been out of there. <laughs> yeah, this is apparently the hardest place to find in Paris, yet people routinely come down here and have Bible songs and stuff. <laughs> and one of the women, the what's assumed to be like the leader of the group, Benji's filming them as they walk by the room, and then she turns and looks at him. <laughs> now, okay, I will start explaining to people what this movie is. And again, it's impossible to really spoil this movie. I mean, maybe it's not, not impossible, but it's, it's ideal to spoil the movie. You want to know what you're watching before you go into it. So basically, there are nine floors. These people will start going down floors as the movie goes along. They are represent the nine levels of hell. Every level they go to is a new... It's got a parallel in Dante's Inferno. And so the first level is called Limbo, if you know anything about Dante's Inferno, which I do not. I had to look up. This is Limbo. 
Now, have you ever looked up, Vanessa, what those cultists, what the singing girls represent, why they're there? Um, no, I didn't know they represented anything. I don't know either. I didn't look it up. I was hoping you did. No, no. I, I haven't seen anything about um, any sort of symbolism for them in particular. Okay. So limbo is basically if you die and you're not bad enough to go to hell or good enough to go to heaven, you're stuck in the state of halfway limbo. And that's this level. So the cultists have something to do with that. So here we are in the first level, and they go through the first part of the cave, and Papineum tells them, if you want to get to your hidden chamber, you must climb through this tunnel. And the tunnel is a claustrophobe's nightmare here. It is just bones. Try to explain this. Put, put this picture in people's head what they have to crawl through. Yeah, it's literally just a pile of human bones, and there's this little tiny tunnel on top of it. So they just have to crawl on their stomachs, basically, using their elbows through this tunnel to get through the other side. Yeah, this is a super claustrophobic scene. People are crawling with about two feet of airspace where they're crawling on their bellies through this bone tunnel. And there's rats under the bones. And again, it's just creepy. And Scarlet doesn't want to climb over the bones. There's a little side tunnel off to the side that's been that's been blocked off by boulders. And she's like, let's go through here instead. And right off the bat, Papineau tells her, no, never go into that entrance. Yeah, this is um, where we first hear about Latope. This big argument breaks out. Scarlet is telling them, if you look at the map, if we go through this tunnel, this will be much faster. It'll save us hours. We won't have to crawl over the bones. Then Papillon tells her, no, we're not going through that way. And then he explains that he used to have this friend named Latope, which in English means the mole, who apparently lived in the catacombs for years. He knew every single inch of every corridor except that one that Scarlet wants to go through because he knew that something really bad was in that corridor. But then Papillon says one day he just had to figure out what was down that way he went through and no one has seen him since. So that's why Papillon doesn't want to go that way. Yeah. Okay. So remember this guy, Latope. He's their dead slash missing friend who went down this forbidden tunnel once, never came back. We will run into him later. But for now, we have to crawl over the bone pile, which again is, ew, it's an unpleasant scene to watch. Yeah. <laughs> So this is where things in the movie first start to get weird because they crawl through and what, one of them, Benji, the cameraman, gets stuck? Yeah, Benji gets stuck somehow and he, he starts panicking, hyperventilating, and in the background you can hear the cultists singing and their singing starts getting louder and it's just a very, um, I don't know how to describe it, it's a, it's a very panicky scene. <laughs> But somehow, at the end, Benji gets pulled out. But as he gets pulled out, this bone tunnel collapses and basically traps them inside, which is a claustrophobe's worst nightmare. You know, trapped in the catacombs with your entrance cut off. But again, this is where the movie gets weird because when they crawl out of the bone tunnel, they realize they're right back in the first room where they started. They somehow went into a circle. Yeah, so they see what looks like the same bone tunnel ahead of them again, and then also that same side corridor. And everyone starts yelling at Papillon, especially Benji. I think Benji starts trying to punch him or something because he's mad that he had to go through all that, and now they're just in the same place that they started. But Papillon's like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, this is where Papillon loses the trust of the group. He's like, no, this doesn't go here. This should not be here. And they're all screaming at him. I thought you knew this place. And so Scarlet says... 
we have to go through the forbidden tunnel, the one that you said is off limits and evil. And Papa's like, no, absolutely not. But again, remember, they're trapped. The, the bone tunnel has collapsed behind them. There's a cop and a smoke bomb at the start. They have no choice but to go into the forbidden tunnel. Yeah, this is the first part where we see the catacombs really messing with them. <laughs> yeah, and this will not be the last time. Okay, so, so we're going to go in the Forbidden Tunnel. Again, it's been blocked off by rocks. They move all the rocks. They climb into this tiny little Forbidden Tunnel that Papillon says is evil. Latope vanished in there. And right the minute they get in there, something creepy happens. They hear a phone ringing. <laughs> yeah. Not what you expect to hear in the Paris catacombs. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention. Right when they enter the Forbidden Tunnel, they see one of Papillon's names, like his graffiti names on the wall. And then they start freaking out at him again, saying, I thought you've never been here before. Like, is this a joke? <laughs> yeah, we were uh, going to go through different levels of consciousness and reality coming up here. So they're going through this forbidden tunnel that Papignon claims he's never been in, but there's gra his graffiti on the wall. And then they find the phone, right? And Scarlet, of course, as she does, is going to go answer the haunted phone. And who's on the other end? Do we know? Yeah, so it's implied to be her dad. Her dad, the night the night of his suicide. Yeah, basically one the thing that really haunts her about her dad's suicide is right before he did it, he called her, and she didn't pick up the phone. Yeah, this will come back later many times that she picks up the phone. It's her father singing, saying, why didn't you take my call that night? Why won't you talk to me? And she's creeped out. And then something else creepy appears in the tunnel, the, uh, the piano, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what's the significance of the piano? The piano is related to George. He says that when he and his brother were young, they would always play on a piano that looked exactly like this one. And they played a song. Um, I forget the name of the song. Uh, it's uh, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. Yeah, they would always play the song together, but... They could never finish it properly because the A4 key on the piano was messed up. And George starts playing the piano that's in the catacombs, and the A4 key is messed up. So this is his childhood piano from 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny, I read that they actually had to drag a piano down there into the catacombs. It took all sorts of uh, pulleys and ropes to get it down there, but it was, they actually did do that for the movie. <laughs> Okay, so again, they're seeing these haunted things. And again, anybody in their right mind would turn around and leave at this point, but they can't. They're kind of trapped. And Scarlet, who is just forging right ahead, says, let's keep going. <laughs> and this is where they run into Latope, the formerly missing friend. Yeah, which I would argue this part is a jump scare when he first starts talking to them and says, you should not be here. It's like right after the phone, everyone's on edge. It's kind of a jump scare. Okay. I do like to warn people, Vanessa and I don't like jump scares, so I'm, I'm very sympathetic to people who don't like them. Here is one that may make you jump. Yeah, Latope is wandering in the tunnels. Again, this is their friend that disappeared two years ago, so theoretically he's been living in this walled-off passageway underground with no food, water, or light for two years. And he looks like a zombie. Yeah, he's extremely skinny, really tall. He's wearing all black. He looks really pale. His eyes are, like, glazed over. Yeah, and he just talks to him. You shouldn't be here. But then they finally said, Latope, we came looking for you. And he's mad. He's angry that uh, that uh, Papillon and Suxi never looked for him when he went missing, correct? Yeah. 
Okay, that comes in later. I guess I'll spoil it a little bit. Every single character in this movie has a sin, and they will have to atone or pay for their sins as we start getting into the levels of hell. And that is the one of the sins that Papio and Suxi committed. They did not look for their friend when he went missing. So file that away for later. Okay, so uh, Latope says, follow me. I, I'll show you guys where you're going. I know you're looking for the Philosopher's Stone. And again... In real life, you wouldn't follow a zombie into these mystery tunnels, but they have no other choice, so they do, and they get to a pit. And this is where Latope basically says, the only way out of here is to start going down as far as you can. And also, I think it's kind of funny when <laughs> Latope first shows up, I think Suxi says, Saba to him, which basically means, like, you good. And it's like, I think he's, he's pretty obviously not good. <laughs> Oh, Suxi always says the right thing. <laughs> so, again, in going into the symbolism in this movie, the symbology, level one of Dante's hell is Limbo. And he is represented by Latope, who is neither living nor dead. They don't really explain that in the movie, but it makes sense if you know what they're doing. And also, he can move really fast. That's one of the creepy things about him is they'll, when they first start following him, he turns around, starts walking, they start following him, and then when the camera pans away, and then when it turns back, Latope is way, way ahead of them. Way farther than he could, should have been able to walk in that time. Yeah, I read, actually read somewhere, that's right out of Dante's Inferno, that the, the souls of the undead supposedly move really fast, and that's how they, you're tipped off, if you know that, that, that Latope is actually undead. Alright, so here we go. Going down to level two, they have to rappel down this big well. And what happens in level two, I don't, again, it's, it's kind of tricky when you're talking about this movie to remember the specific rooms. They're all variants of the same thing. This uh, level two, when they get to the bottom, this is the one with the uh, Ptolemaic hinge, correct? Yeah. So they get to this room and Scarlet figures out that um, it's built with this sort of ancient Egyptian lock system, I guess, that they used to have in their, in the Pharaoh's tomb where in order to reveal the exit to the room and the entrance to the next one, you have to pull a very specific stone out of a very specific spot. And if you pull the wrong stone out, then the ceiling collapses on you. Yeah, this part's really cool. This is probably my favorite scene in the movie, where it's really Indiana Jones, where they're in a trapped room, and there's all these stones on the wall, and you have to know which stone to pull out. If you pull the correct one, they, it opens a secret passage. If you pull the wrong one, it collapses. It's really an, a trap they would put in, in the pyramids to deter grave robbers. So what is the riddle they have to solve to figure out the number? Um, I can't remember the exact one, but it was something to do with the planets. Yeah, it's something, again, there's lots of riddles that Scarlet will read, and there's something about the number of planets. So they have to figure out how many planets there were at the time when this room was built. And basically it's before Copernicus, so there were seven, I think, or six? Yeah, and then they hadn't discovered some planets, but then they also, I think, considered the sun and the moon planets, but then they didn't consider the Earth a planet because they thought that everything revolved around the Earth. Yeah, so the answer is seven, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so Scarlet pulls out the seventh stone, and again, it's really cool. It, it very Indiana Jones, a little side passage, little rolls to the side, this metal thing, and all of a sudden they're in a, it's like a pre-treasure room. This is the tomb of a Knight Templar. This guy's cool, just, just a corpse laying there on a table. 
I think this part is really creepy. Yeah, the guy laying on the table. Yeah, again, if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, there's a Knight Templar who guards the Holy Grail. Very similar to this, there's this Knight Templar who was buried guarding the Philosopher's Stone, except this guy's dead, and he's just laying on a slab, and he has not decomposed in 500 years, so he still looks fresh. Well, it's, it's Nicholas Flamel, right? Is that Flamel himself? Yeah, I think it is, and the, and the reason that he wasn't decomposed is because of his access to the Philosopher's Stone. Okay, I, d I wasn't aware that was Flamel. Okay, see, now I'm even learning stuff. So this is Flamel himself, and there's a, a, a word written on the wall. It's vitriol, right? What does that mean? Oh, it means a bunch of Latin words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so vitriol is the motto of alchemy, and it basically translates to visit the interior parts of the earth or something like that, and thou shalt find the hidden stone. I don't know. But basically, Scarlet says it means we've got to go deeper. And they're all like, you can't go deeper. This room is the bottom. There's nothing. There's just a little pool of water. And basically, she swims, right? She swims down under the water into another room. Yeah, she has everyone turn off their headlamps. And then when it's completely pitch dark, she can see a little tiny glow of water, a glow of light under the pool of water. And so she figures out that there must be some other room or some other chamber down there that the light's coming from. She just has to swim through this pool. Yeah, this is a cool scene. And I, I will flat out admit this movie's very self-explanatory up until about this scene. It's pretty straightforward in how it plays it. And it's going to become very allegorical the minute they get to this next room. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the next room is the treasure room. This is where the actual Flamel stone is buried. And I believe in Dante's level of hell, this would be room four, greed, the fourth level of hell. So explain this room. This is a cool set piece. Yeah, so this is a room that looks like it's basically just filled with treasure behind these gates. Everything is gold and silver, but it's basically a trap. And it's set up that if anyone tries to pry away, pry away the gates and get at the treasure, the room collapses on them. Yeah, it looks like if you've been in Pirates of the Caribbean, it looks just like that ride. There's just oh yeah, yeah these bars, these uh, you know, jail cells with treasure behind them. And everybody in the party goes for the treasure, except Scarlet goes for this wall. There's a mural on the wall that has all these Egyptian, Egyptian symbols and hieroglyphs. And she sees there's a very ordinary red-looking stone engraved in the wall. And she's like, that's got to be the, the Flamel stone. Yeah. Yeah, Papillon and his team are really excited about the treasure because that's basically the reason that they were convinced to go down there. So they start prying away at the gates because they don't realize that it's a trap. Yep. So here it goes. Level four of hell. Greed gets them all. The pa Papillon and his crew pulls out the treasure. The entire ceiling of this chamber collapses on them. And basically they're screwed. Latope disappears, presumed dead. Suxi is her really her arm is badly shattered and broken. And all their packs, food, supplies, lights, everything is now lost. They are now trapped and screwed underground about probably 500 feet. Yeah, everything becomes buried under the ceiling that fell. But they do have one weapon at their disposal, Vanessa, because she now has the Philosopher's Stone. She pried it off the wall. Scarlet, this is what she came down for here, down here for, and she knows it has healing properties. Yeah, so she's actually able to use it to heal Suxi's arm. Yeah, so 
that basically we go back to the regular party of six. They're all still alive. She has the Philosopher's Stone, but there's no way out of this chamber. And again, this is where the movie is going to start getting weird. This is where it loses people. We are almost exactly one hour into the movie, and the next 30 minutes are going to be bonkers. <laughs> okay, so how do they get out of this room? So they have to jump. Or not jump. They have to rappel further down, right? Well, this is where we get the title of the movie. Scarlet knows, well, you know, even though we fell for the trap and they trapped us in here, when they built this chamber, they had to allow themselves some kind of back door to get out of here. And she sees a mural on the wall that says, "As a, it's, a, it's like a picture that represents as above, so below. Yeah, basically meaning that what you see on the surface, it exists below the surface too. Yeah, okay, here we go. I'm going to try my best. I, I apologize if I confuse anybody. <laughs> as above, so below, she explains is the phrase that's the key to all magic. And she says it means what is within me is also outside of me. As it is on earth, so it is in heaven. So I am, so are my cells, so are my atoms, so is God. As I believe the world to be, so it is. And she realizes the symbol meaning as above, so below. If there's a door on the ceiling, there, or there must be a door on the floor as well. And she starts pounding rocks on the floor through these puddles, and she finds a hidden chamber under them. And so they rappel down. Now they're in the fifth level of hell, which is anger and wrath, which is a bad sign. And again, we don't, they don't explain this, that you're in levels of the hell. You have to kind of read this afterwards to see how they're doing it in the movie. But they get down right here on this level. They see a sign that says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here, which is historically the sign on the gates of the entrance to hell. Yeah, and it's in a very narrow and short chamber that they have to go through so they have to crawl and then scarlet points out that um also in mythology it says that they will be made to crawl on their bellies into the kingdom of darkness yeah <laughs> if you know your bible if you know your historical fact fiction and stuff there's a lot of stuff they're going to throw at you here that's very true to real life mythology but yeah so now they're in hell and now basically Every room they hit is a mirror image of a room they've hit before. It's just somehow reversed or a little different. So what happens here? They, there's more swimming underwater. They're all backtracking. They wind up with the tomb of the dead soldier with Flamel again. But this time they find another body in there with Flamel. This is Latope. Yeah, and also this time Flamel's body is rotting. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so Flamel is now rotting, and now, again, they're in a bizarre parallel world here, and the movie doesn't spell it out, except Latope is here, and Latope is going to commit our first murder of the movie. Yeah, so Latope is acting weird. <laughs> He's just kind of in the corner, and Suxi tries to walk towards him and kind of ask, are you okay? And she reaches out to touch him. And then he snaps, basically, and he starts smashing her head against the ground. Yeah, this is pretty graphic. Suxi gets brained on a rock. And it's like, the, yeah, this crazy evil version of, of uh, Latope basically makes Suxi atone for her sin or pay for her sin, basically. Correct? Yeah, so basically the way all the deaths in this movie, they all tie directly to that character's sin. 
And Sissy's big sin is not looking for Latope after he went missing. So that's why he's the one that kills her. Yes, they will all meet a very fitting end or fate unless they atone for their sins. And again, there's hints through the movie as they're going through the catacombs. You'll see a noose. You'll see visions of Scarlet's father. You'll see dead little boys. You'll see little children, babies. These are all relating to their sins, and it will come up later in the movie. I also will point out that I feel like this part could be considered a jump scare, too, when Latope attacks Sixty. Okay, another minor jump scare. So there's three jump scares in this movie. Well, actually, there's more with the demons later. Okay, there's there's a couple. There's more, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Suxi dies, Latope runs off and probably just vanishes because he didn't exist to begin with, and now there's five people. And we're going to quickly go down to four because Benji is going to meet the scariest death in the movie. Yeah, this is the big jump scare. This one, even when I know it's coming, this one gets me. I had to pause it. I was, there's a real critical detail in the jump scare that you don't notice unless you're looking for it. Okay, so explain this one. They're all, they have to rappel down another hole. We're going down to like level six or seven. I forget where we are now. And as they're going down, this is where the really scary jump scare part happens. Yeah, so Benji is, I think, the last one to go down, and he's sitting at the top of the hole. He hasn't started repelling yet. He hears noises behind him. He, like all characters in horror movies, asks who's there, <laughs> like the like they're going to answer. And then the jump scare happens. The It happens really fast, so yeah, it is hard to see, but it's the creepy lady who was in the cult. Yeah, who was in the cult group and also was the lady who stared at him as they were walking into the club. She appears and she pushes him down the tunnel. Yeah, as Benji's going to rappel down this giant well, she just out of nowhere pops up right in his face and either scares him or pushes him. It's You said push. I can't tell what happens. Oh, I, I assume that she pushed him, but yeah, I guess we don't know for sure. Okay, so Benji, the cameraman, goes flying down this well, head first, breaks his neck on the bottom. It's horrible. But there's a very critical detail in that jump scare, and I had to read about this on the internet. I'm like, why does Benji die? Because Benji never has a sin. He never has a chance to atone for his sin. And I've read a lot of interpretations why he dies. Have you read up on this? Yeah, so it... It looks like when she appears that she's holding a baby. And so a lot of people have theorized, again, it's never really confirmed by the movie, but a lot of people have theorized that his sin is that he had a child with this woman and he never admitted that it was his. And so that's why she killed him. Yeah, it could be that or he forced her to have an abortion or something and they killed the baby. But again, it's all in interpretational. They don't spell it out in the movie. You have to go read about it or think about it afterwards, why this woman with a baby kills him. And once you figure out the rest of the movie, you realize his sin has something to do with the baby. But they never do spell it out, which I wish they would a little. But that jump scare, that's hardcore. That one will get you. Yeah, that's definitely the major one. And you don't even notice the baby unless you pause it. That's the, the kind of catch here. Yeah, I didn't know about the baby either until I read about it after. <laughs> yeah, it's, even when I was looking for it, I was showing mom, and I was, well, we we're watching it tonight. I'm like, she's holding a baby, and mom's like, are you sure? I'm like, that's what they say. It's hard to tell. Yeah. But you do hear a baby crying as they're going through the catacombs earlier. It kind of ties in. Oh, I never noticed that. Oh, yeah, that's why we have subtitles, Vanessa. you got to turn those on <laughs> so you can see baby crying in background. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, we've lost two of the members. Now everyone's starting to panic. 
and they have to crawl back through over the bone tunnel at the beginning, the exact same one as before. And now George starts seeing visions of his dead brother underneath the bones as like, as if he's like under ice and it's really creepy. And they're like, what is happening? They don't realize they're trapped in hell. And we are about to get our third death. There's only three deaths in this movie, but they all come one, one, one right after each other. It's about, about time for Papillon to meet his fate. So, I forget, are they in a different circle by this point? Um, It's hard to say. I, I'm kind of keeping track. We're either on level six, heresy, or seven, violence at this point. It's probably violence. I feel like, yeah, I feel like violence would tie in with his death. It would make more sense. Okay, yeah, so this is level seven. We're going to make an executive call here. <laughs> so what does he see? So they're walking around this corner. They hear fire and screaming in the distance they see this glow coming from around the corner which is really cool and really creepy i have to point out that the way this movie uses sound is really effective there's a lot of like really atmospheric background sounds going on that make it even creepier and this is one of the parts where they do that i was gonna say all the reviews mention that the reviews that are not these the 79 percent of people who hate it the ones who love this movie always comment on the sound it's really effective yeah, so they hear this echoey, screaming fire in the background. They slowly make their way around this corner, and they see a car that's on fire. And there's a guy sitting in the car, which he is the same guy that showed up at the beginning in the catacombs and told them to find Papillon. Yeah, I never caught that until my third viewing. That's the same kid. Yeah. That explains a lot, because the first time you watch this movie, Papillon just dies, and you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Okay, so yeah, there's a car on fire with this kid with poofy hair inside, and the implication is that at some point in his past, Papillon was responsible for this kid's death. He set a car on fire, he got in an accident, didn't rescue the kid, and so Papillon recognizes right away, this is the kid I killed in that car crash, or that car fire many years ago, and he freaks out. Yeah, the theory that I've heard the most is that he, like, drove drunk and caused an accident, which killed this guy. Oh, that makes sense, too. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so he immediately sees that guy, and he he does not repent for his sin. He starts screaming, no, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. Which is a bad thing to do when you're in hell. Deny your sin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a cool, this is the only real special effect in the movie that Papineau sees the guy in the burning car, says, I didn't do it, it wasn't my fault, I'm not responsible. And all of a sudden, the car, like, implodes and pulls into the earth and pulls Papineau with it. Which you know, Vanessa, I know I like this movie and you don't. Papineau was just dragged to hell. Oh, yeah, ha uh ha. -huh. That's right, a little drag me to hell action here. <laughs> I mean, he was already in hell, so. He was dragged further into hell. <laughs> but yeah, Papignon gets pulled into the earth, and basically he is engulfed by the earth with only his calves and feet sticking out of the ground. It's a really creepy image, and I did not know until I researched this that that is historically accurate for the book Dante's Inferno. Yeah, that's an actual real punishment that happens in the book. On the seventh level of hell, violence, the punishment is to be pulled into the earth so only your feet stick out of the ground. So it's very historically accurate. And again, the first time you see it, you go, what the hell had just happened? But it's, again, that's why you need to watch this movie twice or understand what's going on.
And also, we forgot to mention, towards the beginning when we first meet Papillon and his crew, there's a very brief part where the camera focuses in on Papillon's hand, and he has a really bad, like, burn scar on his hand. And I think it's Benji that asks Zed, like, what happened to his hand, and then Zed says, oh, we don't talk about that with him. And now you can kind of figure out that that's where he got that scar from this accident. This movie's a fun little puzzle box. I love, the more I watch it, the more I learn about it. I'm really glad you recommended this one. <laughs> okay, so now there's only three people left. Scarlet, the main hero. George, the translator who's terrified of being underground and get, accidentally killed his brother. And Zed, the red shirt from Star Trek, who somehow is going to survive this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. They go down a couple more tunnels and layers, and we're basically at the finale of the movie here almost. I forgot how fast it sneaks up on you. This is only like a 90-minute movie. This is the death chamber, level 9, treachery, where they uh, basically meet the devil. I think this part's really cool and creepy, too. They go past this room, and there's a black hooded figure sitting in a chair on the opposite end of the room. And as they're making their way through it, he slowly starts to get up and turn around. <laughs> He's a Dementor. <laughs> but yeah, if you, the interpretation of this movie, again, if you don't know this is Dante's Inferno, you have no idea what's going on. This is the bottom level of hell. That is the devil himself. You don't really get a good look at him, but he's rising from his chair and turning to look at them. This is not where they want to be. Well, and it's interesting because their, like, representation of the devil is different than what I think most people think of when they think of the devil. They don't really think of him as a black-hooded figure. They think of him as the red guy with the horns. But this representation of the devil is completely different. I would assume this is probably how he's portrayed in Dante's Inferno. Probably. So they're in the devil's chamber, and it's again, it's really dark and creepy, and all, almost all their lights are out of batteries, so you can't really see what's going on here. And there's all these stone figures on the walls, which are like the souls of the damned screaming in anguish. It's really creepy. And this is another jump scare in the movie. One of the stone figures comes out of the wall and attacks George. Yeah, okay, I got to talk about this, because I had to look this one up. This stone figure, like a like a golem pop comes out of the wall, attacks George and basically bites him in the throat, rips his throat out. I don't know if you've read about this. I was just noticing this the other day that I read that some website says in Dante's Inferno, that is the punishment for murder is having your soul ripped out by this specific demon or having your throat ripped out by this specific demon. So what happens to George is his punishment for quote unquote killing his brother. That's the, the violence punishment. Oh, so he was actually supposed to die. He was supposed to die. George will be healed here by the Philosopher's Stone, but he's supposed to die here because that's the punishment for murder. He has never accepted responsibility for killing his brother. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so I thought that was cool. So he has his throat torn out, and Scarlet and Zed grab George and pull him to safety before the devil can come get them, and they go off in a little side chamber. And this is where Scarlet is starting to realize what's going on. Oh, my God, we're all paying for our sins. We're in hell. And she's kind of putting the pieces together in her head. And she realizes she has committed a sin while she is down here. It's one of the sins we have not talked about. The eighth level of hell is fraud. She has committed fraud, and she realizes that right now. Yeah, so she realizes she goes to try to heal George with the Philosopher's Stone, the same one that she used on Suxi. 
and she realizes it's not working because it's a decoy stone. And she has to repent for taking this one by running back to that chamber and returning it. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, this is a fun scene to talk about. So George tips her off that, remember, the motto of alchemy is vitriol. And she remembers part of vitriol was within the hidden parts of the earth by rectification, thou shalt find the hidden stone. And she's like, oh, my God, there's a hidden stone. The one I grabbed is not the real one. I have to rectify that. So she basically has to you know, go in reverse everything she just did over the last half hour, go past all the rooms. And in the process, she kicks a little demon butt. Yeah. It's really funny because when they're first going through it, you know, everyone's all scared and freaking out. And then when she's running back, she's literally just punching them in the face. <laughs> well, she does know Krav Maga, so perhaps that's part of it. Yeah, that's true. It's a very frantic scene of her rushing back, going up like four levels to get back to the treasure room so she can put the the flamel stone back where it belongs and she goes, hidden stone, there's something a hidden stone. Where the heck is the hidden stone? And she looks down and there's a mirror and she sees her face and she realizes, oh my God, I'm the hidden stone. So she's the philosopher's stone. So Harry Potter and friends were looking for Scarlet all along. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, this is a scene where she's just running through chambers, swimming through pools, swimming in blood. There's hands grabbing for her. It's very frantic. And at the end of her, cha of her chase, she's confronted by the sight of her dead father. And she has to atone. How does she atone for her role in her father's death? She hugs him and then basically just says, I'm sorry that I didn't pick up the phone that night. And then the apparition of him hanging disappears. She is the one. She is the first person who has atoned for her sin by admitting she never answered her father's phone call the night he killed himself. The father disappears, and she is now scot-free. She will not be harmed in hell. That cannot be said for George and Zed, though. Oh, and also, she's now the Philosopher's Stone, so yay her. <laughs> I am a rock. Okay, so here we go. We get to the end of the movie. It's got a kind of a twist ending, which makes sense if you know what's going on, but it doesn't if you are lost. They get back there. She heals George by kissing him because she is the Philosopher's Stone. I am a rock. And now she knows how they can get out of here. She knows the way out of hell, <laughs> which is atonement and a leap of faith. Once again, like Indiana Jones. Yeah, they come upon this other, this final big tunnel. They basically have no other options because they are being kind of chased by these hooded figures coming from where they came. And there's no other exits to this room they're in. There's just this tunnel. And she figures out that they have to jump. But before they jump, they have to admit their sins. Admit and confess. Yeah, they uh... <laughs> and so they go around there. It's a bottomless well. They're going to have to do a leap of faith. And Scarlet knows. She knows what they're in. We're now we're in hell. And anyone who knows Dante's Inferno, which is not Vanessa and me, <laughs> knows that the end of the book is Dante must dive into, I believe, the devil's belly button. Is that what you read? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The only way out is down. So you go into the devil and then down, and that's how you get out. And that's the whole point of this movie. They have to keep going down and down and down in levels of hell before they will be able to arise on the surface of the earth. So they'll have to jump, but now they confess their sins. And Scarlet says, you know, I never answered my father's phone call the night he died and george says i tried to rescue my brother but i got lost and gave up so i was kind of responsible for his death and then zed who has had no character development this whole movie says 
I have a kid I never took responsibility for. <laughs> all right, go Zed. <laughs> and then what? They all just hold hands and jump down? Yeah. And what happens at the bottom? It's just they somehow survive this leap of faith, and now they're down in a trapped chamber. There's no escape, and Zed starts screaming and yelling, except George notices there's something on the ground. Yeah, he can see a little bit of light coming up through the ground. And they basically discover that it's the bottom of a manhole that's on the streets of Paris. So what they have to do is they're basically upside down right now. It's really hard to explain if you haven't seen it. But then they have to push the manhole up, drag it to the side, and then climb out. And then they emerge right side up on the streets of Paris. Yes, once again, in... In befitting the uh, slogan of Dante's Inferno, you must go down to get out. They push down on a manhole cover. It somehow pops up on the surface of Paris. And when they pop up, they're in an upside down world, which is like they've escaped. But the world is all of a sudden upside down. And the camera then slowly rotates back to normal. <laughs> and they don't explain it. Like if you've just watched this movie, you don't know it's Dante's Inferno. You're like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, it's really ambiguous, like whether they really are back to the normal Earth, or if this is some, like, alternate dimension version of Paris, because there's you basically see no one else in that final shot besides them. Like, the streets are really empty. But it's unclear if that's because this is some, like, weird dimension or if it's just because it's nighttime, because you can see that it's dark. So the ending is kind of unclear. Yeah, and I have seen people argue their interpretation of the ending is, oh, they're dead. They're now in limbo and purgatory, which I don't think is correct, but I know some people interpret the ending that way, and I guess the movie works that way as well, but I don't think that's the correct interpretation. I think they survived. They just went through a weird, bizarre version of hell they weren't expecting. Yeah, I think they they did end up back on regular Earth. <laughs> yeah, and really that's the end of the movie, and that's why I say this movie is so baffling the first time you watch it, because they don't spell out it's Dante's Inferno or the Nine Levels of Hell. But when you know that, it's such a different movie, and that's why I think explains the 21% success ratio. I was flabbergasted when I saw it was only 21%. I'm like, wow, are that many people missing this movie? Like, they don't really get what's going on? Yeah, well, I don't even think it's just that. I think it's because, number one, it's a horror movie, and number two, it's found footage. Okay, so... Combine those two plus the ambiguous ending plus just the weirdness of the story. And it's, yeah, it's not a movie for all people. But again, just the fact that you went and researched it afterwards and there's all these websites out there explaining how genius this movie is and most people just don't realize it. Yeah, now I can say there, there are very few movies I've read about more than this one after I watched it because it's like a, uh, you need to read the supplemental materials to really get it. Then you go back and watch it again and you really do see how genius it is. Yeah, and then you pick up on all the foreshadowing, like the guy that told them to find Papillon and the, the creepy lady that what, like saw them in the club, and then the, even the apparition of her father that Scarlett saw in Iran at the very beginning, even that was just, it was showing like how the catacombs were messing with her already. It is the path to madness, as they said. Well, I will say the genius of this movie even extends to the poster. And Vanessa and I were just talking about this the other night. There's a very famous historical drawing of what Dante's hell looks like, the concentric levels of hell. And it really tapers down almost like a funnel to the bottom. 
And if you look at the poster to this movie, it's the Eiffel Tower tipped upside down, and it looks just like the Dante's Inferno drawing, which you wouldn't realize unless you went looking for it. So it's very intentional, all the symbolism and stuff. It's just, it's just a really cool movie. You kind of have to research a little. Now, was this movie a hit? Did you read about it? Was it like a big hit or anything? Um, I don't think it was. I don't think it was like a total flop, but I don't think it was a big hit. Yeah, I guess the 21% kind of answers that question. Yeah. <laughs> and really, that's the movie. Scarlet lives to fight another day, perhaps wiser, perhaps a little more responsible in her archaeology tactics. Yeah, but she got all these people killed, so. <laughs> yes. She got, well, she killed three people, but she became the Philosopher's Stone, so that's probably a good trade off for her. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah, that'll probably get her tenure somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> And George has accepted the guilt for his brother, and we don't care about Zed. I have no idea. Maybe Zed went home to work on his Robert De Niro impression. Yeah. Yeah, literally at the end of the movie, Zed just, like, walks away. Like, the final shot is George and Scarlet hugging, and then Zed just walks away. <laughs> I cannot believe he didn't die. In any other movie, Zed is dead 15 minutes in. I feel like they only had him survive just so they wouldn't have just the two main characters survive. <laughs> well, also, you know, this is a comedy, just like Dante's Inferno, so... <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, once again, that's As Above, So Below. I really hope we explain that to people satisfactorily. That's That was a tough one to do. There was a lot of notes on that, and it's very uh, hectic and frantic as you're watching it, but if you can look through that, there's a real, real gem of a movie hidden here that I think really people need to go appreciate. Yeah, and it's on Netflix, so it's easy to access. That's correct. I even watched it. One of the few movies I've ever watched on streaming. We watched it on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else you want to add about the world of alchemy or archaeology before we sign off? Um, I don't think so. Other than if you're an archaeologist, do not destroy stuff. Yeah, and don't trespass. <laughs> I mean, Indiana Jones was at least trying to put it in a museum. Scarlet was just being a jerk. I don't know. Indiana Jones was a pretty bad archaeologist, too. <laughs> now, now, why? Okay, you're talking smack about Indy? <laughs> what did he do that's so wrong? He was disrespectful to the, the people and trespassed. <laughs> but he killed Nazis. Come on. <laughs> I will not have you besmirched Indiana Jones. Dr. Indiana Jones to you. <laughs> I mean, technically Hitler killed a Nazi because he killed himself, so... <laughs> Hey, you, you officially pulled off the first Hitler joke on Staff Picks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, once again, I want to thank you for joining me. Vanessa's busy at one of the few colleges that's actually doing in-person learning, and so far no one's getting sick. So uh, thank you for joining me and taking time in you out of your busy day, and uh, I, got, I look forward to talking to you again next year for our third episode on Staff Picks. Maybe I'll do Midsummer next year. Perhaps you will, or perhaps I'll pick one. I'll, I'll slash your movie. No. <laughs> Vanessa hates slashers. And <laughs> there's a couple of my favorites she will does not appreciate, like Halloween, Drag Me to Hell, The Evil Dead. What else? Um, well, I don't. I feel like Drag Me to Hell isn't really a slasher. No, it's not. I just love it. Yeah, too jump scary for me. Bah. 
Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks, Vanessa. I will talk to you soon. And once again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more horror movies for Horror Month, and I'll try to find something that will creep you the heck out. Talk to you guys later. Bye. And they should be made to crawl on their bellies to enter the kingdom of darkness.